So the big question is this, how do nonprofits like us, who are often funding our vision from our own pockets, that don't have big staffs, big budgets, and great fundraising know-how, how do we raise the kind of money we need to see our mission fully funded? Ask the question, and this podcast will talk about the answers. My name's David Oaks. Welcome to the Minor Touches to Major Gifts podcast for nonprofits. Welcome to the show today. So glad you tuned in. Today I'm talking about parking spots, entitlement, and your nonprofit. Parking spots, entitlement, and your nonprofit. I was in a city next to our county a few weeks ago driving down the street. I drove past a local church and I saw something that sort of made my blood boil, just makes me angry. It made me so angry, I had to whip my car around, pull into that parking lot, pulled out my iPhone, and I snapped a picture of it, put it in my Evernote journal. I journal every day just to keep a record of what I face and and what I do. And looking back over my journal, I see that picture, and it makes me angry. I'm telling you, never been to that church. I'm not going to that church I don't want to be a part of that church because of what I witnessed, because of what I saw. But churches are not the only organizations that I've seen do this. Not a few weeks earlier, I was in a the parking lot of a technical school and I pulled in and I saw it there, made me angry. And I just thought something about The leadership at this school is wrong. I already know it. I've pulled into local banks and experienced the same thing. And it makes me just want to walk in the doors and scream and say, something's really bad wrong here. Just scream it really loud. What am I talking about? What I saw at that church, what I saw at that tech school, what I've seen at some banks, some organizations, is you pull in the parking lot and they're up close to the door. The best parking spots have a little sign and they say one thing. Reserved for, in the case of that church, right up by the door, the best parking spot said reserved for the senior pastor. (laughs) I remember going to that technical school Right up there by the door, the best parking spots, the very best one says reserved for the president, for the college president. Right beside it, the next best spot is reserved for the vice president. And there's maybe a a small handful of parking space that has spaces have all those little signs saying reserved for, and sometimes they have a name on there. I would be so horribly embarrassed to have the best parking lot. Uh, space in a parking lot with my name reserved for me. I would be so embarrassed if I led that organization and the best spot in the house was reserved for me. What am I talking about? Well, I remember at our church. Our church was growing. I've told you before, our church grew by about a hundred people a year for many years. We were always searching for resources, always searching for space. We just struggled for every kind of resource imaginable. And 
parking spots <laughs> were hard to come by close to the door. Here's what would happen. The worship team would get there early. We would get there the earliest of anyone. And of course, what would we do? It's just the natural thing. We would all park as close as we could to the door. Then all of the other volunteer teams would show up always early before the people. And what would they do? There were the greeter teams, the serving teams, <clears throat> the um, any of the deacons teams, the prayer teams, everybody showing up. And we're all just taking the closest spots that we can to the door. And then what happens when the crowd shows up? They have to park the furthest away. What happens when the guests, the people that we exist to serve who have never been there before, what happens when they show up? They come usually the latest. Those people come just a few minutes late. (laughs) They don't come on time. And when they come, they get the worst parking spaces. Well, years ago, I went to a seminar with a younger than he is today pastor. His name was John Maxwell. And in those days, he was not the leadership guru that he is today to business. And John Maxwell was a pastor of a Fast, amazing, just an explosive growing church in San Diego. And Pastor John Maxwell talked about his growing problems and how that he personally parked blocks and blocks there in San Diego. How many blocks away he always parked. Nobody parked further away than Pastor John Maxwell. And then he challenged his staff We do not take the best spots because we are the servants of this organization. We are not going to hog any space that ought to go to outsiders. And he was very clear, this organization, this nonprofit exists for the people who are yet to come. He was very clear about that. He talked to all of his volunteer teams, all of his greeter teams, all of his serving teams, all of his teams of volunteers. And he had just hundreds and hundreds of volunteers who met early, all of their prayer teams. They all met early and he made it very clear. When you're a member of this church, you don't have rights. You show up to serve. And he made it clear in the sanctuary when New people, when outsiders came in and there was no place to sit, he made it very clear. If you're a member here, you get up and you stand against the walls because when guests come in, we always want to have seats for those people who have never come before. That challenged me. (laughs) So I'm a pastor of a fast, explosively growing church here in North Georgia. I come back and I started doing the same and I just realized the leadership involved in that. I always made sure nobody parked further than I did away from the best spots at the front door. And then I challenged all of our volunteer teams, the worship team. They came the earliest If I come in and the worship team hogged all the best spaces around the front door, 
I, I'm telling you, it, it made me angry. And I just busted right in there on a rant. Excuse me, y'all. Shut everything down. Go move your cars. So they learned quickly. We all of the volunteer teams, all of us in our church, we didn't have the money to pave all the spaces we need. So we had a blank field with wet grass that you had to walk through. I and all of our volunteers parked the furthest away in order to leave the best spots for the people that we served when they showed up when church time came. Now, what does it have to do with your nonprofit? Your nonprofit is either organization-centered or it is beneficiary-centered or it's donor-centered. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today to be more donor and beneficiary-centered than you are organization-centered. I'm not saying that your organization doesn't matter. I'm not saying the people who work there. I'm not saying work what you do is less important. But I am saying you want to prioritize your donors because without them, nothing happens. Money is like oxygen in the room. And if you don't have any money, nothing is getting done. So I want to challenge you to be more donor-centered, more beneficiary, the people or the people who receive the impact from what you do, then you are organization-centered. Now, if I pull up to your nonprofit and the best parking spot right up by the door has reserved for and your name is on it, I'm just going to come in and I might punch you in the face. I might go right on ahead and do it. <laughs> Don't do that because it speaks of a mentality that says we matter first. We're staff and we get served first. No, no. You show up to serve. You show up to serve. And having a reserved spot right up by the door for you just speaks to me. If you're the president of a tech college, you ought to park further away than anybody because that school does not exist for you. It exists for the students who are going to come. If you're the president of a bank, dude, ma'am, you park the furthest away than anybody. There should not be a this spot reserved for the bank president with your name on it. I'm telling you, if that happens, uh, um, your bank doesn't deserve to succeed because that shows there's a mentality of serving yourselves first. That is not a customer centered. It's not a, if you're a nonprofit, you, you're not, it just shows me you're not a donor centered thing. What does it mean? What does it mean to be donor centered? What does that mean? What are we talking about it? Talking about when we say that? What does donor centricity mean? So let me talk to you for just a few minutes about that and then I'll let you go. What does it mean to be donor centered? When organizations are donor centered, when they're more donor centered than they are organization centered, they realize this one thing. That for the most part, donors don't give to you as much as they give 
through you. What I just said was powerful when you begin to understand it. So let's unpack it. Donors don't so much give to you as they give through you. So here's what I'm saying, that donors don't give to you as much as they're giving to their values. Donors not giving to you, they're really giving to their values. When you represent the values that they think are amazing and powerful and impacting, world-changing, when you represent the values that they care about, guess where they give? They give through your organization to your values. Wow. So you can tell an organization-centered nonprofit when their appeals say, we, us, we and us more than you, Y-O-U. You look at an appeal, you look at a thank you note and it says, thank you for giving. Here's what we did with your money. (laughs) Thank you. Here's what we did. That's an organization-centered thank you. Now, what what a donor-centered thank you look like or sound like? A donor-centered thank you would say, you gave, thank you, here's what you did. Now, there's no W-E, we words, it's all you. Thank you. Thank you for your gift. Here's what you did. You fed 14 homeless people with your donation. You sent two girls. You paid. You sent two girls to school for a month in Africa. You paid for one year's tuition. You educated a kid. You see the difference just in saying thank you. What a difference it makes when you turn it around and give the donor credit for what takes place at your organization. You don't want to know who's feeding um, feeding hungry people at your organization. You're not doing it. Donors are. Want to know who's uh, who's sending girls to school in Africa? You're not doing it. Donors are. Give donors the credit. So you want to flip your appeals around, even make your appeals for money about the donor. It's not, will you send us money so we can do great and honorable and powerful world-changing things? No. Will you send money and change the world? Will you change the world? Will you feed hungry people? Will you pay for education and educate girls in the Middle East and children in the Middle East? And here's why that matters to you. Donor, donor-centered fundraising is much more successful than organization-centered fundraising. Donor-centered fundraising helps donors to give through your organization to their values. So when you become donor-centered, 
you understand people are not giving to us. They're giving through us to their values. Now, I'm telling you, it's so much easier to raise money that way because you're not constantly having to sell your organization. You're just bringing up the value that you serve, the value that you represent. You're bringing up the value, the very same value that's important to the donor, and you're giving them the privilege. You're giving them the opportunity of giving to their value. Oh my God, there's no feeling of arm twisting there. You're just writing, you're just appealing to donors about the values, the causes, and the things that are important to them. You're just writing to them, or you're just talking to them. You're just talking to them about the things that they already care about. You're not talking them into anything. You're giving them the chance to do something powerful that they couldn't do on their own. In this respect, they need you. They are thankful for the opportunity that you bring to them. This is how you actually get donors for thanking you for the chance to give. You Nothing is more fulfilling to me than to speak to donors about the value that you serve for them to write out a check and then they'll reach over. Usually their eyes are moist and they'll just touch you with their hand and they look you eye to eye and they say, take this, but if that's not enough, don't forget about me and thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. (laughs) You will raise more money immediately when you do donor-centered fundraising giving the donor the chance to do powerful things. It works so much better than arm-twisting organization selling. Instead of telling donors how great you are, begin to tell the donors how great they are. Tell them what they have accomplished. Tell them who they have fed. Tell them how many kids they have served. Tell them how many events they paid for and the impact that they have brought to the table. Wow. So I've given you a lot today to think about parking spots and entitlement. (laughs) Now, when you go to places and you'll see the best spots up close to the door reserved for the people who work there, you'll think, "Mm mm-hmm, I need to go in and give them a leadership lesson. You do. Probably better if you don't, (laughs) but that's what they do need, yeah. All right, so I'm glad you tuned in today. I want you to consider and being more donor-centered than being organization-centered. Okay, so I'm glad you tuned in. Listen, still putting together a mastermind for nonprofits. So if you're interested, if you think you're interested, we want to do an information call where you can just tune in and find out what we're talking about. This is an opportunity for 12 nonprofit leaders to be in a mastermind with me. We'll meet two times a month and we we commit to each other. A mastermind is just a group of people who commit to growing each other. So it's a way that nonprofit leaders can 
maximize their growth at a price point that is so, so affordable. Hiring a consultant, uh, hiring me, it does cost a lot of money. i am be honest with you there. It is out of most small nonprofits range to be able to hire a consultant. So here's what I'm doing. I'm making myself available to 12 nonprofit leaders for $250 a month. This is something that you'll do at least a year. Hopefully you'll do it for the next dozen years. And we all, the 12 of us, we commit to growing each other. So you'll have my ear. You'll have a personal relationship with me. We'll meet two times a month. And that's at a price point level that even small nonprofits can handle. So I'm offering myself 212. I cannot do that for a lot of people. So it is a limited opportunity. It's limited in the number of seats. I'm capping it off at 12. So if you think you're interested, then contact me. Hit me up. Just um, direct message me on either Facebook, Instagram, or you can email me. My email is david at wsdevelop.com. World Stage. That's my business. So david at wsdevelop.com. Some people have already started communicating saying, hey, I want one of those spots. So don't miss out on that. All right. Glad you tuned in today. Uh, Until next time, always remember, we are proud nonprofit leaders on a mission to create a changed world. We are not begging. We are not pleading. We are inviting humanity to partner with Providence to see injustice become justice, to see wrongs become righted, so we can leave this world we found in a better place. It's all coming together. It's all breaking our way. Every day we're a little clearer in our message. We learn a little more strategy. We see another piece of the puzzle. So until next time, this is David Oaks saying so long.